Thanks, Mark. Good morning. My name's Scott. I'm a pastor, preacher, minister, reverend guy here. Um, we're super glad you're here with us this morning, uh, especially if you're new or guest with us this morning. Um, we want to warmly welcome you and hope that you were greeted warmly on the way in. I want you to turn to John 4. We're doing preaching first today. Um, it's a little different than what we've been doing in the last series. We're doing preaching first and then uh, song set and singing and worship band uh, next. We're going to be in John, the fourth chapter. Um, we have Bibles here, guest services folks. Have them available for you if you need a Bible. If you need a study guide for this series um, that Mark mentioned, those are available. These guys have them as well if you uh, didn't happen to get one on the way in. So we're going to be in John 4. We're going to do in two sections. 1 through 9 is the first section, and then we'll also do 27 through 42. If you want to have those handy, that's where we'll spend our time with noses and Bibles uh, for the sermon today. John 4, 1 to 9, and uh, 27 through 42. Um, a couple of things to touch on before we jump in. We're going to pray in just a second and jump into the message. Um, Matt Brock is a friend of ours. Uh, Matt Brock is from an organization called Good News Productions. Uh, Good News Productions International has been around for a number of years, and we have supported them for um, almost 30 years as a congregation. Um, they um, produce media content uh, all over the world. Um, as a means to communicate the gospel, and uh, they do some really cool stuff, and Matt is here to tell us about some of that and give us an update, uh, so he's going to come up later in the service and kind of tell you uh, about what's going on with uh, GNPI, so we're uh, grateful to have Matt. And then also, by the way, at the end of the service, if you'd like to see more about what they do, uh, just go out to the hub there. Matt's got some stuff to show you. Uh, you can get some updates via email, and he'll tell you how to download their app, the whole nine yards. Um, FYI, the <laughs> printed study guide um, on the last week, um, all of those daily Bible readings are incorrect because some doofus in the office messed that up. It's me. Relax. <laughs> You're like, does he talk that way about our admin people? No, no, that was that was me. Um, the online version has it correct. Um, if you want to get the study guide, that online version is always available at fccgreenville.info. Uh, I'm going to use that as a means of transition because we're announcing today that we're doing our websites in two different kinds of ways. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week and we're live today with it. Um, at least the dot info part, we're still working on dot org. The gist of it is this, it's a two pronged way of using, um, our online presence. FCCGreenville.org is about new folks, guests who want to know about us, people who are just checking us out, wondering about the basics. How do you take care of my kid? What times are the services? Can I check out your uh, worship services online? That kind of stuff. Um, that is all available on .org, but .info is a place where you can go. It's a one-stop shopping, uh, sort of a virtual hub. We talk about the hub back here. Um, you can, on your smartphone, on any sort of uh, desktop browser, iPad, tablet, whatever, it's the same look and feel as what happens on the iPad back there. And you can get everything you need to know about how to connect in any kind of way at FCC. So just remember .info, FCCGreenville.info. 
Um, it is a way to have information and registration for upcoming events like 30-minute lunch, Uh, which we talk about, we do almost every week now. 30-minute lunch is an opportunity to have a free lunch with some staffers, get a feel for who we are and how it works, and meet some other new people. Uh, We go through the vision guide, which is six small pages of everything we do. In 30 minutes, you will leave the 30-minute lunch knowing basically how everything works around here. Um, So we want to encourage you to do those kinds of things. Just go to .info, sign up there. If you're going to the Disciple Now Youth event that's coming up soon. There's a weekend that they're doing. That's on .info. There are links to places like Good News Productions that we support. Uh, There are forms for all of our vision-based stuff like how to connect in a life group, how to serve on a team, uh, sermon audio and video, uh, because everybody always wants to know that. Um, (laughs) um, It's found on .info. Um, Just go to that one place and you can find (laughs) everything. I thought that was sort of funny. So um, last series we covered was how to neighbor. Uh, And we were talking about practical ways uh, that we can be good neighbors to our community. Uh, Churches and Christians across the land are well known for what we're against. Duh, we're against sin. But we want to be known as people who are for our community in personal kinds of ways. Uh, So for the last few weeks, we've been collecting uh, funds for a couple different things. Um, As you all know, hurricanes uh, Harvey and Irma um, have meant months and months and months of uh, work for those in those areas. And so we have been collecting money for that. We've collected $3,000 to send a Samaritan's purse um, for some hurricane relief. And then we've also collected for a family in our neighborhood just a couple blocks away, the Law family. And uh, actually, they're here with us today. Um, We've collected for the Law family because they lost their entire house to a fire just a little over two weeks ago. Does that sound right? Um, Just a little over two weeks ago, we've collected $6,000 to give to them. Uh, So thank you all for uh, pursuing generosity, as we like to say. Um, So that's something that we can do to pursue generosity together. So thank you all uh, for your generosity in that. It's a way for us as a congregation to continue to be a witness to those outside of our four walls and to say, listen, this gospel that we believe in is real stuff. uh, And we want to use our life's resources uh, to, to demonstrate the grace of God given to us. Um, So thank you for participating with us uh, in that. It's really helpful um, for our community and for folks um, really all over the world. We give away uh, 12 plus percent of everything that we bring in. And you'll hear about that with Good News Productions later. So lot to cover in John 4. And since the sermon first service went approximately 12 minutes long, let's hurry up and pray and get into it. Lord God, we just ask that in the silence of this moment and as we quiet our hearts to hear from you today we ask, we implore that you would teach us and that your spirit would move in us and that you would shape our hearts and minds so that we would increasingly see our lives from the vantage point of your goodness and your glory as the goal of our lives. Lord, teach us today to buy into Your goodness and glory as means of satisfaction and joy for us. That as we live in ways that, that match what You've done for us in Jesus, in ways that reflect the goodness of Your heart for the lost, 
to save even us, that we would reflect and mirror Your goodness and glory to others so that our lives would be testimony and a witness. Lord, let Your Word do its work in us today that our hearts and our minds would be shaped by Your Holy Word. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to have John 4 open uh, pretty much instantly since we're probably going to skip the entire introduction. Uh, so because the first service was approximately 12 minutes uh, over, let's just start by saying this. Long story short, <laughs> Jesus goes through a region called Samaria. You've got Judea in the south. You've got the Sea of Galilee in the north, and there's this large portion called Samaria in the middle. And Jesus goes around it as, I'm sorry, Jesus goes through it as opposed to around it, which is what the Jews of his day did, because you didn't want to be caught in Samaria as a good Jew. So long story short, Jesus goes through Samaria as a missionary strategy. This is week one of three in a series called Boulevard. And it's about how we are called to be making inroads, that we are the road for the gospel in our world, that we are called to be testimonies of what God has done for us in Jesus. So Jesus goes through Samaria as a missionary strategy. Jump in at verse 1 in John 4. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. In other words, he was becoming uh, sort of famous in the region. They were getting to know who Jesus was, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. But a lot of these parenthetical statements that happened there in John. Verse 3, he left Judea in the south and departed again for Galilee in the north. And it says, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. Now that would have been a little like saying uh, you're going from G Vegas all the way to Gate City, Virginia. All right. From Greenville to Gate City, Virginia. And as we all know, if you've been around here for any length of time, there's basically only one way to go from here to there. And that's through Kingsport. And Kingsport's nothing but mile after mile after mile of chemical pipes. And who wants to be stuck in Kingsport? I mean, there is some good barbecue, actually, as it turns out. There is some good barbecue. But but it's like saying it's that far, and you can only get there one way. Um, So he has to go through Samaria. Now, again, Jesus was becoming a little bit well-known. The religious authorities were beginning to hear about him. The Jewish religious authorities, the political authorities were beginning to know about him. And at that time, if you have a religious movement because you're a prophet and you're working miracles and people are beginning to follow your teaching, you gain some disciples, as that's happening, the political authorities have an ear for it too. Because as a religious movement starts to happen, the political authorities get a little worried too in that time. So he's using this journey through Samaria as a missionary strategy because most like him would go around. And that is worth noting because, because you see Jews (laughs) considered the Samaritans, those from that region, as half-breeds who didn't deserve the time of day, and that's putting it quite mildly. (laughs) 
That's putting it quite mildly. It was actually Jewish tradition to walk around the entire region if possible. But Jesus didn't do that in this instance because his mission was making inroads to take the gospel to those who were ready to hear it. So that's what's going on for the context. Verse five, jump in again there. He came to a town of Samaria called Kingsport. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's noon, it's hot, and uh, Jesus obviously is tired. He's got a whole band of disciples with him. They're probably carrying some supplies. And uh, at just that moment, the, the lady on the golf cart comes by and offers uh, something to Jesus. So verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, I don't know, Arnold Palmer, please, um, give me a drink. And, and this is kind of funny here. John inserts these weird sort of parenthetical statements. And Arnold Palmer, by the way, is half lemonade, half sweet tea. Nothing weird. So, Give me a drink, verse 8, for his disciples, and this is kind of funny, had gone away into the city to buy food. I don't know why, but this just strikes me as funny. Apparently it takes 12 disciples to go to the grocery store (laughs) to buy peanut butter because Jesus and the Samaritans are, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Jesus and his disciples are hungry. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Then it says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, just Jesus, just this woman, disciples gone. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. Now you have to understand, in that day, especially if you're a well-known religious teacher who was a Jew, who was gaining a following, who was a male. You don't just strike up a conversation with a Samaritan woman in public, (laughs) in the heat of the day, at the local well. That's just not a thing you do. It looks bad. People will wonder things. Um, And as I already mentioned, to put it mildly, there was great conflict between the Jews and uh, Samaritans. Um, they, they pretty much hated one another. Um, and so there were these walls of bitterness that had been drawn along ethnic and religious lines uh, for about 550 years previous to this moment, which is why she says, how is it? She doesn't even understand. She's surprised by it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Then John says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And this statement by John here about no dealings with Samaritans uh, meant in every sense of the term you can imagine. It was not just in terms of personal relationships, but it was also in reference to things like we don't share the same cup, the same household, the same city, the same you name it. And so this woman is kind of saying here, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you need water, whatever. But first of all, why are you even talking to me? And secondly, you're willing to share a drink from my jar of water? 
she is openly surprised. And this may seem like no big deal to us in our day and age, but it's such a big deal that it is not an exaggeration at all to say that at this moment, what this woman was experiencing from Jesus was nothing short of an act of love. Crossing lines. Going beyond the pale in ways that she clearly had not experienced personally from someone like Jesus. And she doesn't even know he's the Messiah yet. Not only did Jews not share jars of water with Samaritans, most Jews would have considered them not just ceremonially unclean, like if you're ceremonially unclean, you can go to the temple, you can you know, pay, pay an offering and make a sacrifice and be clean again. They considered, most Jews considered Samaritans permanently unclean. And John doesn't include this story here so that we learn about the geography of Jesus' travels. He includes this story so that we can look into this moment with the woman at the well and see into the heart of the Jesus who loves sinners. And so that we will note well that why he came was to seek and save the lost. He says so repeatedly. He says, it's why I came. Jesus' priority was to go to the Samarias of the world and the Samaritans of the world and extend open-handed grace and gospel. His priority was to make inroads into people's lives so that the gospel could make inroads into people's hearts. And we see that very thing happen here. There's this delightful conversation that we don't have time to talk about here, but there's this delightful conversation that ensues between Jesus and this woman. And and, and this conversation turns from being about water, just about drinking water, into an opportunity for the gospel. You see, Jesus' personal mission was to make inroads with love, finding ways to bring the good news. His mission wasn't Jewish fame. It wasn't political notoriety. It wasn't personal gain. His mission was bringing people face to face with their sin so that they would have a restored relationship with their father, which is what Jesus came to do. He says in uh, this passage in uh, a later verse, my food is to come to do the will of God. We'll get to that in a bit. So in other words, he came to do this for this woman. He's come to do this for you. He calls us to do the same that he has done. Jump down to verse 27. This is after Jesus' conversation with the woman. They have this conversation. It goes from, give me this water, to, oh my, you're, you're the Messiah. This is after that conversation. Jesus has revealed himself to her as Messiah. Her sin has been confronted, and she acknowledges him as Savior. Keep reading verse 27. Just then, the disciples come back, returning with the peanut butter, I guess. Uh, They marveled, it says, in verse 27, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. (laughs) They're a little weirded out by seeing Jesus publicly interact with the Samaritan woman. But, John tells us, no one said, what do you seek? or, Or why are you talking with her? And then notice this. At this point, John turns to tell us about the woman's reaction. 
So the woman left her jar. She's so excited, she left her water jar. She went away into town and she said to the people, Come, see. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Is this the anointed one? Is he the Messiah who's come to save us from our sins? And then verse 30 reports what happened. Then uh, they, meaning those to whom she was speaking in the city, they went out of the town and were coming to see him from the city to see Jesus. This woman has already become an inroad for the gospel to be communicated to people. It didn't take knowing everything. It didn't take being smart enough. It didn't take having enough resources. It didn't take you got to go to seminary. It didn't take I need to know more about Jesus before I go and talk to anybody about him at all. It simply took faith in this basic truth that this man I met told me about my own sin. And when I was confronted with his holiness, I realized, I realized in that moment, I don't need to be ashamed and hide from that sin because my sin is now spoken for. And she believed that enough to go tell people about it. She very easily, very quickly, became an inroad for the gospel in the lives of people. And they came and they saw for themselves. We see that continue in this passage. Look at verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. This is where Jesus reminds them of the mission. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. (laughs) So the disciples say, I still don't get it. Uh, So has... Has anyone brought him something to eat? Which was a natural concern. They're off uh, in the city buying food. But Jesus says, I've got a different kind of food. It satisfies better than PB&J. Look at this. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food. The word my there is in what we call the emphatic position. He says, contrary to what you're offering and what you're saying, my food, what motivates me, the reason I get up in the morning, Jesus is essentially saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is God's will. What motivates me is accomplishing his work. What satisfies me is building inroads to the father. Jesus isn't saying you don't have to eat food. But he's saying real satisfaction and joy and purpose and meaning, all of that comes for him from doing the will of the Father. Preeminently. Primarily. He says, in essence, this is why I came. What satisfies me is building roads to the Father. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. This is how seriously Jesus takes it. Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, he says to his disciples in that moment, later on in John, he says, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He says, yeah, we'll eat. Don't worry about it. But we've got work to do. Keep reading. Do you not say, (laughs) there are yet four months And then comes the harvest. 
He's speaking to the disciples here because they say, you've got plenty of time. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. If you understand the precious gift of forgiveness in Jesus, the urgency to give away the grace of God that you've accepted and received from Him will be palpable for you so that you feel what Jesus says here. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Jesus is essentially saying here, we've got work to do. We are farmers. It's already harvest time. In fact, in this moment, he's probably saying, this woman has gone into the city. People are coming back. It's harvest time now. Let me be real about something, friends. Most self-proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ live like harvest is someday in the future and someone else's responsibility. That only applies to you if the shoe fits. And I have been as guilty as others of a tragic complacency that treats the gospel like something to be hoarded for self. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say most self-proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ live like harvest is someday in the future and it's somebody else's job. Please prove me wrong. And when that kind of attitude, that tragic complacency sets in in someone's life, And I'm fully intending to call all of us, including myself, in this as it fits. When that kind of tragic complacency sets in in our lives, our goal deteriorates from the stated mission of God's goodness and glory to a functional mission of self-satisfaction. Which I believe means that for the follower of Jesus, evangelistic complacency a distrust in the gospel to do its work. Evangelistic complacency is ultimately a sign of selfishness more than a lack of courage. And here's why I say that we can press through selfish fear to courage. Here's why I say that we can press through selfish fear to courage (laughs) because genuine Christian witness works 100% of the time for those who are ready to hear it. Just like it worked for those of us who call Jesus Savior when we were hardened and said no and in rebellion. Are there some who don't respond to the gospel? Of course. (laughs) Absolutely. Sure. Welcome to harvest. Welcome to the job of harvest. But, (laughs) 
we can push through selfish fear to courage because 100% of those who have the ears to hear will respond in faith. John 10:27 My sheep hear my voice, he says. I know them and they follow me. We can have courage because our witness will always work with those ready to respond. This is what is in the text. Her witness worked. Look at verses 39 and following. The Samaritan woman's witness worked. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. At first it was her word and it became his word. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now think for just a moment with me about what happens here in John 4. Jesus goes through unexpected territory, engages in conversation with a woman considered uh, so sort of socioculturally uh, untouchable. Which means this woman's not going to start the conversation. But Jesus does. On the one hand, to speak about the work of God in one's life, it feels like a weighty matter. I get it. <laughs> I get it. There's a sense in which you're doing the same thing here that Jesus does. You're talking with someone about their sin and the personal weight of that in a way that we want them to deal with that with the Lord. That's a big deal. I get that. But on the other hand, this is a simple conversation that starts out about water. It's just a conversation that starts about water and becomes something where she is confronted with her sin and the holiness of God. So on the other hand, all it was was Jesus striking up a conversation with someone at the water cooler. And those kinds of conversations don't just happen accidentally. A gospel witness is very rarely accidental. And I think we often hope it can happen accidentally as a manner of saying, as a, as a means, as a way for us saying, harvest is someday. Harvest is someone else's job. I hope those tracts work. Does God use tracts? Of course he can use tracts. God can use donkeys who talk. But you don't usually see people coming to faith in Jesus by accident. Bumper stickers and t-shirts do not constitute making inroads. Making inroads means clearing away brush, putting in time, building relationship, coming up with a structure and plan, counting the cost of the resources to make the road happen. Listen, I've never heard of one person, I'm sure this happens, but I've never heard of one person who stopped somebody on the street and said, hey, I noticed uh, that you're driving a car with a fish on it. I'd like for you to tell me about the work of Jesus in your life because I'm ready to hear it because I saw your bumper sticker. Jesus' fish don't readily and often convert sinners. Jesus' people do. 
That's plan A, B, and C for the trajectory of the gospel to speak to people in ways that they actually need. You see, if lost people are actually lost, and we really believe that lostness means an eternity apart from God, then we will make inroads. So in simple terms, (laughs) small steps, easy conversations, water cooler kinds of things, change your routine, travel through Samaria, talk with people at the well, the gas station, the line at the grocery store, or wherever your day takes you. If your food is to do the will of the Father, you will seek to bring people face to face with the same Savior who forgave you your sin. Friends, we are called to be a road for the forward movement of the Gospel. That's a hard message for today's American Christians. I get it. We're calling you to something that we'd rather pretend is some other time and someone else's job. But this is wartime. This is harvest. We'll have plenty of time someday for eternity to have perfect relationship with the Father. Until then, we are called to use who we are and what we have to have conversations with Samaritan women at wells. And friends, we are, we are surrounded, each of us in our daily lives, with people who need the saving grace of a God who came in Jesus, died on the cross, gave himself for that lost person. We are called to make inroads with love because we actually care about the eternal destinies of people around us. Just like Jesus did for this woman and he did for us. Father in heaven, we pray, we ask, we implore you that you would give us a fresh dose of courage to make inroads with love. Lord, forgive us for hoarding Your grace and pretending that we've deserved it. Father, we ask that You would continue to shape us and to mold us into Your image. You created us for Your goodness and for Your glory. And our joy and satisfaction not just in eternity, but for now, are wrapped up in living out the truth of the Gospel and the grace that You've given to us. Give us the courage and the strength and the faith to live in ways that reflect what You've done for us in Jesus. It's His name we pray. Amen.